We are live in Asheville, North Carolina for the first Nitro pay-per-view extravaganza, fall brawl, war games, whatever you want to call it. We've only had two Nitros before this pay-per-view. And you know that's what I kind of hinted at in previous podcasts and previous videos, is that a lot of these storylines and a lot of these matches we really don't have a full grip on, especially if you've only been watching Nitro. You know, if you just tuned in for nitros and and all that, you're this is a lot to take in this quickly. I mean, we we really aren't totally sure of who even a lot of these characters are. One thing we know for sure is that we hate the Dungeon of Doom, and I for one, even watching at this point, was pretty excited to see the Pasta Maniacs get rid of the Dungeon of Doom. They, they've been such an integral part to the show. I mean, they have been nonstop. We, we see them, for a 45-minute Nitro, we see them probably 30% of the show. So, when you look at it like that, it's like, alright, I'm, I'm kind of tired of Kevin Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom. Let's get rid of him, Hulk. Let's go ahead and do the damn thing. Now, the beginning of this show actually took me by surprise. So, I'm going to walk you through where, where we're at. I had to do a little bit of Googling, a little bit of research to actually like catch myself up. So... We, we've missed a bunch of WCW action, and we're only watching Nitro. So this includes the Saturday show. I think there's a Sunday show. There's a show before the pay-per-view, I guess kind of like a Sunday Night Heat type deal. So we're not getting all of what's happening in the lead-up, and we certainly haven't got any WCW before Nitro. So a lot of stuff has happened that we just don't are not told of. The biggest part of that is that the Giant exists. Like, the giant is a thing. The giant being Big Show, being Paul White. I'm not really sure why he wasn't mentioned in in Nitros or in, in any of the lead-up at all. It, more than likely, he wasn't mentioned because Mongo, Bischoff, and Heenan just, at this point, aren't super good at what they're doing, especially Mongo. So maybe it was kind of on them, I don't know. But he's he is a member of the Dungeon of Doom. But he's not in the match. But he is affecting Hulk Hogan. And he's being billed as the son of Andre the Giant. And he's out for revenge on Hogan for beating Andre at WrestleMania. Which is an interesting gimmick because the whole backstory of the gimmick is from the rival company where who they're trying to beat. Obviously this gimmick was scrapped. But they're pretty heavy on it early on. At the beginning of Fall Brawl... The very first thing happens is Shivani and Heenan let us know that before the show, the Giant destroyed Hogan's Harley Davidson motorcycle with a monster truck. It's me, Gene Okerlund. I am Tony Shivani, and it was back at the end of July, if you'll recall, where World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan declared war on the Dungeon of Doom. And earlier today, as we saw, right before the main event, war really broke out as the Giant driving a monster truck destroyed Hulk Hogan's Harley-Davidson motorcycle, the same Harley-Davidson given to him by the fans back at Bash at the Beach in Los Angeles. Now, this this all really, really confuses me. And even even after like researching it, because if, if the giant is here, and the giant is in the Dungeon of Doom, and the giant is attacking Hogan, why is he not in the match? Why is the Giant not... How is he not Sullivan's 
go-to... Th- how is Shark and Kamala and the Zodiac and all these other clowns, how are they who Sullivan puts in there? I mean, Sullivan, it's if they lose, Sullivan has to go five minutes with Hogan. So how is the Giant not one of Sullivan's first defense mechanisms? It just, it, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So we actually go to the pay-per-view. So we're in here. And the first match is Brian Pillman versus Johnny B-Bad, a.k.a. Mark Marrow. And look, I'm not going to mince words here. Marrow looks, he looks like a transvestite with bad makeup. I'm not sure what the hell is going on with Johnny B-Bad. But his face and makeup and eyeliner, he looks like exactly like what a transvestite prostitute from you know, Cuba or something would look like. I mean, he he's he's kind of disgusting me. I'll give him this, though. The crowd absolutely loves Mero. His entrance is mostly just him just walking around, shaking hands, high-fiving, loving, loving life, and the crowd is about it. He is the king of Asheville. And Michael Buffer is making the introductions. I hope it's Michael, not Bruce. It might be Bruce. One of the Buffers is making the introductions. So it's kind of a big, big match feel. And this match is a U.S. Championship elimination match. The winner gets a title shot against Sting. And uh, so the two-ring setup for War Games is here from the jump. I guess there's really no other way to do it. But it is kind of interesting to see two rings set up the entire pay-per-view. But it, it, it makes sense, I suppose. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting that they do the buffer intros for every match. When I think about WCW and Nitro, I do think about buffer you know, I do think about him introducing people, but the fact that he does every single match on the on the pay per view is pretty pretty weird. Lots of rest holds in the match. Really great way to uh, start start a pay per view. Just not nothing but nothing but rest holds. There's no Mongo or Bischoff on commentary. It's just Heenan and Shivani, by the way. So I think this is this is their A team, I suppose, and they're awesome. I mean, Heenan and Shivani are perfect. They work so good together, and it. I'm not. I don't want to say it's because Mongo's not there, but Heenan and Shivani just get it. You know, Shivani understands what Heenan's saying. Heenan can basically just go off. I mean, Heenan can do what he wants to do, what he's supposed to do, because he knows Shivani will play along, and, and if it, it it certainly works. And they mention that the giant is in the building, and again. It's just a terrible decision from Sullivan to go with the Shark and not the Giant. Uh, B-Bad is bleeding pretty good around the eye. I'm not sure how this happened. Uh, This match is super, super, super slow. I would say that this match is at a snail's pace. But honestly, that's kind of unfair to the snail. Buffer lets us know there's five minutes left, which is shocking. I'm sitting here watching the match, and I hear, oh, there's five minutes left. And And, you know, at this point, I'm thinking, well, damn, this match has been going on for a while. Then I hear the time limit. Are we about to get a damn draw? Are we about to start the show with a time limit draw between Johnny B. Bad and Brian Pillman? I mean, is that how we're going to start this off with a time limit draw between Johnny B. Bad and Brian freaking Pillman? Please, God, please, God, no. Two minutes left, and B. Bad locks in a rest hold. Genius move. Johnny Shivani even says, I'm not sure Johnny knows how much time is left in this match. Two minutes in and we're locking in rest holds. I mean, it's ridiculous. Shivani says, maybe Johnny will try and lock in a bad day or a bad move 
or the tutti frutti. That's his moves. So let's. <laughs> I get the first two. Like the first two are just plays on the word bad. But how did how is the how is the move set for Johnny B bad? The bad day, the bad mood, or the tutti frutti. I think it's the bad mood and not bad move. I have bad move written in my notes, but now that I think about it, bad mood makes sense. But I'm not even sure why I'm saying what makes sense, because tutti frutti sure as hell doesn't make sense. 60 seconds left, and we are in another rest hold. 30 seconds left, and Johnny hits the tutti frutti. Pillman is under the rope, so the count breaks, and we reach the time limit. Wow. I have hated this so much, because I don't know who these guys are. We've only seen two shows. Yeah, I've seen Pillman fight Leaguer, and I'm not even sure if we've seen Mero. I have to go back and listen to the shows. But why are we? Why are these guys getting a time limit draw? So the referee says absolutely not, and starts a sudden death. Which, when you think about it, every match is kind of sudden death. Like when they—that's something else I've always thought in wrestling. When they say, "All right, guys, we're going to a sudden death overtime." I said, well, you're just restarting the match. Because the match, unless you're in a two out of three falls match or an Iron Man's match, every single wrestling match of all time is sudden death. You know, like, it doesn't really make any sense. But this this match has lasted my entire damn life. And the pin, B-Bad wins it. They do, like, this double cross body thing where they both go for a cross body and they hit each other and B-Bad falls on top and gets the win. Why the hell did this take 35 minutes? We 35 minutes this match went. I don't know if there was a match cut. I don't know if there was some weird decision made to let them go long because they didn't want to have some other promo or some other vignette. But imagine the the like the conversation to okay, our first pay-per-view. What do you want to do? Let's start off with Johnny B Bad and Brian Pillman. Okay, is there a title at stake? No, the winner just gets a U.S. title shot. Okay. Do you want to let these guys go like 10 minutes? or No, let's let them go to a time limit draw, and then we'll have a sudden death overtime where they be bad wins with a crossbody. It's like, well, that seems, that seems like a bit much, but okay. Flair comes out, cuts a promo for his match with Arn Anderson. Flair, 10 out of 10 promo. No surprise here. He's also in North Carolina, so that helps. Uh, Cobra comes out. Not a snake, but a human. Cobra is basically Guile from Street Fighter. His theme music is Morse Code, and that part sucks. That part's pretty brutal to listen to. Legitimate, just Morse Code blaring over a speaker. Gentlemen, the following contest, that fall brawl, is set for one fall with a 15-minute time limit. Introducing first, from Langley, Virginia, weighing 270 pounds, Cobra! He's facing Pitbull Sergeant Craig Pittman, and he's a random, he's just kind of a, he is what you would think he is. He is a, uh, like a Marine Sergeant, I guess. Some random platoon member comes on down to the ring, but they don't say that, and I've never seen Pitbull Pittman. So I, for, for a while here, I thought it was, I thought that was Pitbull Pittman. Confirmed, was not Pitbull Pittman, it was just a random platoon member. So the platoon member is talking to Cobra. Where Pittman repels from the ceiling, so we're in, we're in a full-on guerrilla warfare scenario. Pittman repels into the second ring, 
and the army crawls acro across both rings and attacks Cobra from behind, which is actually kind of fun. Uh, Pitbull, he ends up locking in a Code Red Armbreaker and wins it, and apparently the Code Red Armbreaker broke uh, Road, Warrior and, uh, Road Warrior Hawk's arm, so the, this Code Red Armbreaker is pretty protected, and uh, it was a pretty fun match, honestly. It was, it was very... 90s, very WCW. But my favorite part of the match probably was it how it wasn't 40 minutes long. Next, we see a little vignette of Paul Orndorff having a mental breakdown in his locker room. This is bananas. This whole vignette is so insane. So the whole backstory is that Orndorff doesn't think he's great anymore. He's losing. He's kind of on a bad luck streak, he just can't get himself right, he can't get, he can't, he's not the Paul Orndorff of old, and he's talking to, you know, he's just, he doesn't even, he's depressed, and he's just really doubting himself. Next walks in Gary Spivey. Gary Spivey? Mr. Wonderful, they let me back here to see you. Gary Spivey? Of the Psychic Companions Network? What are you doing here? I got a vision. I knew you weren't okay. There's something I have to tell you. I know you're not okay. You did? Yeah. How did you know? Gary Spivey, now again, I had no clue who this was, so I had to do a little research, because I'm. this guy looks nuts. If, you, if you're listening on audio, he's like this. he looks like the uh, Cam or whatever from Modern Family, and he wears this Bob Ross wig, but the wig is like styrofoam. So basically a styrofoam bowl on top of his head. And he is a celebrity psychic spirit healer thing and Spivey gets Orndorff back on track and kind of you know motivates him to believe in who he is who he is so Orndorff <laughs> Orndorff starts kissing his own hands and arms and then stares himself and stares at himself in the mirror and then kisses himself on the lips in the mirror this this was nuts, and it lasted a pretty good while too. This wasn't a forty-second video. This was, this could have been like an episodic show. This was really weird. But Paul Orndorff apparently is Mr. Wonderful again. I, I'm just glad this is over, to be honest. Now DDP comes out. So DDP this is the first time we really see DDP. DDP comes out with the Diamond Doll. The Diamond Doll, I think, is Kimberly Page. I'll tell you this: she is absolutely smoking at this point. I mean, she is. She is hotter than a $2 pistol. They're doing exactly what Sable and Marrow did later in the WWF. So DDP hates like all the attention she's getting, and he's just dogging her out. He's making her hold the ring ropes so he can get in there, and every time he does something great, he wants Kimberly to applaud him, and he doesn't want Kimberly to, to you know get any attention from the fans. And it's, it's I mean, it's good. It's a stick that, that works. It's worked a million times that it's done, and it's been done a million times. So this is a TV championship match, and the champ is on the way to the ring. The champ is the Renegade. The Renegade is a terrible, 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 terrible Ultimate Warrior knockoff. When I say he's an Ultimate Warrior knockoff, he is the exact same character. He's wearing face paint. He's wearing the long hair. He has the tassels. He's got the... He runs to the ring. He even has kind of the generic rock music intro. He is the ultimate warrior, and it's very obvious, and it's so damn embarrassing. Paige is working his ass off in this match. This 
Diamond Dallas Page was a really interesting kind of career just because he, everyone knows, he started wrestling when he was like 33, like started training when he was 33. So this could not be too deep into Diamond Dallas Page's actual time of having some ring experience. And when you know that, it's it's absolutely sh- like shocking how good Page is. He is so good. And when you watch old wrestling like this, a lot of matches are just punch, punch, kick, body slam, punch, punch, atomic drop, punch, punch, elbow. You know, like, it's a pretty, all the matches are pretty, pretty played out. They All, all the move sets are pretty similar. You don't have a bunch of signature moves and finisher moves, and people don't kick out of finishers. So, you a lot of the times, the signature move will, will end up winning the match. You won't even see a finisher. You'll see, like, a... You know, a big superplex or something that gets the win. If you even see that, a lot of the times matchups are won by cradles or, or roll-ups or stuff like that. You know, hitting a turnbuckle. Matches are different back then. And so to see, you know, to see someone like like Paige where his moveset is just so refreshing, so different. And he's, he's doing so many different things in this match. And he's, he's just kind of... He's like the first guy that just tries to set up his diamond cutter. He's always setting up the diamond cutter. He's always setting up his moves. And it's just a really... I'm not going to say it's groundbreaking, but you can tell Paige is going to become something great. You can tell Paige is already leaps and bounds better than a lot of the stuff we've already seen. And this this isn't even peak Paige, you know. Uh, The the Renegade... (laughs) His moveset... I'm I'm not lying to you. It's uh, 90% inside cradles and roll-ups. He doesn't do anything else. It's kind of weird because he's supposed to be the ultimate warrior, but he's not super powerful like warrior. He doesn't do the powerful stuff. He doesn't do the gorilla press. He doesn't do big punches or he's not like super intense. He just kind of takes bumps and then randomly rolls up Paige. I mean, I'm Paige keeps making the diamond doll hold up a ten uh, every time he does something cool, like an actual like a, a judge's scorecard number ten. And uh, I'm actively rooting for DDP here. Like he's he's just so good. His, his matches, he's the match is not entertaining because the Renegade sucks. But Paige is super entertaining. He hits a, he hits the Diamond Cutter and he wins. So he's the new TV champion. Put that ten card up, Diamond Doll. Let's hear it for DDP, the new TV champ. Tag title match time. Up until this point, I don't think that we have actually seen a tag match so this is this is kind of a weird weird situation but tag title match time 45 minute time limit please god no they they actually announced a 45 minute time limit and i'm thinking god we've already seen one time limit draw i can't handle a 45 minute one harlem heat is out they have their same same theme song as always and i've always said this but wcw struggled with theme songs they they are very generic but some of them, it's kind of crazy because some of them are so damn bad, but some of them are so iconic. And Harlem Heats is kind of one of them, and theirs is, theirs is really good. Now, they're fighting, oh, I can't wait till y'all hear this. They're fighting Bunkhouse Bunk and Dirty Dick Slater. Bunkhouse Bunk and Dirty Dick Slater are the tag team champions. And the little wrinkle in this match, again, we, we don't know any of this stuff, but Harlem Heat's manager, Sherry, and 
Bunkhouse Bunk and Dirty Dick Slater's manager, Colonel Sanders, or he's not Colonel Sanders, but he looks just like Colonel Sanders. I think it's actually Colonel Bob Parker, I think is his name, but he looks just like Colonel Sanders. And they're smitten. So they're they're very different, obviously, than each other, but they are kind of in this like weird love thing. Very different styles in this one. Harlem Heat are young, powerful, fast. Uh, they're, they're very different than Bunkhouse and Dick Slater, who are older, slower. And actually, the opposing styles work pretty well in this one. It's actually kind of a good fit where it's almost at this. It's kind of funny to say, like, Harlem Heat are new school, but this is a new school of wrestling. This, like, super athletic, super big, super fast, super agile athletes versus these plotting mischievous scheming heels so it, 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 they, they they fit i got a feeling these guys don't go out and have beers together but they fit in the ring in one ring so in one ring we had the actual match the other ring sherry and colonel are getting frisky by i mean they are they are fully tonguing each other in front of god and everybody this is not like oh they're hugging oh they're kind of kissing they are this is like red tube type stuff, and I'm here for it. I stand. The Nasty Boys come out and get involved. Uh, Harlem Heat win it, and our new champions. A great line by Heenan here. He says, if Sherry and the Colonel were any closer, he'd be behind her. Boy, if he got any closer, he'd be behind her. And it's, when you think about that, and just that's, that is like Heenan at, at the best, you know, and that's very funny. Next up, Mean Gene is interviewing Arn, and he is pretty flustered, to be honest. Apparently, Gene had to do a quick run to get to the interview spot and is not happy about it. His life. We're talking about the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Gene, take it away. All right, Tony, I, uh, I apologize. I didn't realize we're going to be a mile, mile and a half run. I felt like Roger Bannister coming up from that. Arn Anderson, come on in. Before I talk to you... Gene is all over the damn place, and when, like, it's... Gene is the only one that does interviews, so he'll do an interview in the ring, and then he'll do an interview backstage, and you know the only way he got there is by running running into the back, and he is uh, very flustered at this point. We see a little video package for Flair and the Anderson match, and it, it does have a big match feel, and maybe that's just Flair being Flair, but this does feel like, oh wow, this is a proper big match. And Arn comes out first. Now, again, I started watching wrestling really heavily probably around 1996 so a little bit after this but I wasn't you know I still wasn't fully into it that's just when I kind of started to watch almost weekly and just kind of started to learn who the people were by 98 by 97 by by 98 I was for sure 100% in I knew everything all the champions I watched every week I was I was absolutely in there but Arn Anderson was well past his prime when I started to really watch so to see Arn in this light, he is a certifiable badass. He, he's so damn awesome. The enforcer thing is just so perfect. The way he carries himself. I used to think his glasses look dumb. Like I used to think his glasses and all that stuff were stupid looking. But they fit him so good at this time. He's just like a, he's just like Al, like a Al Borland. If Al Borland took some HGH. I, I, actually, I actually like Arn Anderson a lot. Uh, throughout throughout this early Nitro, early WCW. So here comes the Nature Boy, all the pomp, all the circumstance. You absolutely got to love Flair. He's so good. 
Now, they show a bunch of wrestlers who are in the stands for this match. Uh, Guerrero's out there. American Males are out there. The Colonel is back out there. Big Bubba's out there. That's actually kind of a pretty big moment, or a pretty fun moment, where they... It just hypes up this big match feel where it's such a big match. All these wrestlers came out into the stands to watch it. This is pretty cool. Great match. Great storytelling. The match ends with Brian Pillman getting involved and Anderson hitting the DDT. Cool moment. Uh, had Anderson reversing the figure four. Crowd ate that up. This is in Flair country, you know. So the crowd loved that. So Anderson Anderson had, had that kind of... The whole point of this is that Flair has just got out of control and Anderson is his best friend and Anderson's got to kind of set him straight. Anderson's always trying to get out of Flair's shadow and Anderson reversing the figure four was just one of those moments where he's reversing Flair's best move. That's how well he knows Flair, all that stuff. And I've talked about it before with Flair being kind of like Kenny Omega in AEW where he doesn't have to have a title. He doesn't have to be in the main event. He has this other storyline that is it's being held up by how good Flair is and how good Anderson is, and this is just this is just really good. I, I'm really, I'm really enjoying this. And the no or the weird finish, the, the the funky finish with Pillman, that's fine because it sets up stuff later down the road. And Pillman, you know, he's got some full horseman ties, and so uh, this was a good match. It was enjoyable and it set up stuff down the road. I liked it. Go Flair, go War Games time, baby. Is War Games time. Now, I know it's just been two weeks, and maybe that's unfair, but I just can't get into the Dungeons of Doom, man. I hate these guys. Like, they're just such a bunch of losers. They're the biggest collection of misfits. They're just, they're just all the same. They're just a bunch of fat guys in face paint. Every one of them. I mean, every one is just some old fat dude who's wearing face paint. And I just can't get behind that. Hogan's Pasta Maniacs are ready to roll. They're all in the back uh, wearing fatigues and camo paint. So this is like basically a mash, American Gladiators mashup. And I, I'm not sure if everyone understands this, but again, if Hogan, Team Pasta, if they win, then Hogan gets Sullivan for five minutes alone in the War Games cage. Sullivan it's kind of back and forth between being a wrestler and being a manager kind of deal. So it it kind of has that feeling of whenever you see like Stone Cold Steve Austin gets five minutes of Mystery Man. But Sullivan still is a wrestler, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal for Sullivan. Like he has actual matches, so, you know, whatever. But that's what we're rooting for. I'm really just rooting for the end of the Dungeon of Doom. So the cage is being lowered with one hell of a firework display. you got to remember this is still 95. So these firework displays in, a, in an arena like this probably pretty tough to pull off. Uh, we go we go over all the rules, which I honestly didn't even know these rules. I thought the rules were basically just you go at it and there's eliminations. I was wrong. None of the rules make sense. And the only way to eliminate someone is by surrender or submission, which seem like the same thing. If you submit, you surrender. And if you surrender, you submit. So it really, it's really just a submission match, which is pretty weird. Because none of the wrestlers except Luger, I guess Sting has a Scorpion Deathlock, but at this point he's using all kinds of other stupid moves. He's, he's, his finisher is like a crossbody. But it's hard to imagine like Hogan in a submission-only cage match. Like Randy Savage in a submission-only cage match. How's that work, you know? Uh, so the way that... So the match... Here, here, here's how the match goes. 
two people enter, and then every couple minutes, a new person from the other team comes in, and then they rotate. And then it's not elimination, so I thought it was elimination. This is something that I learned later, is that it's not elimination matches, it's first first pin, or not pinfall, first submission slash surrender, and the match is over. What's really stupid is that it comes down to a coin toss to who gets the advantage. Now, obviously, in real life or in anything, whoever gets the advantage would most of the time win this match. Like, Sting and Shark are starting it off, okay? After five minutes, the second person comes out. Whoever wins the coin toss is the first one out. More than likely, whoever gets the two-on-one handicap scenario for five minutes or whatever would win the match 90% of the time. So it's weird that that's decided by a coin toss. But the coin toss is won by the Dungeon of Doom. And so Zodiac comes out. So now it's Sting versus Zodiac and Shark. And Sting is handicapped for a while. It doesn't really matter. Savage comes out to even it up. Kamala is next. Then everyone is in. And Hogan comes out last. Classic. Which is also kind of weird. Like... Hogan is the biggest part of this. Hogan is the guy the Dungeon of Doom hates. Hogan is the biggest cog in WCW. Why is Hogan the last one out? Isn't that kind of weird where Hogan is now the freshest? Hogan is now... He's not fighting against the odds. Like You would think Hogan would come out first, and he would get handicapped, and he would fight out of that, and then Savage would come out, and then it just seems weird. And like Luger should be the last one, because Luger is the one who... We still aren't sure where his loyalty lies. So Luger should be the last one out to where he's the freshest and they're not sure who side he's even on. And even during the match, Heenan talks about how Hogan's scared to get in the ring. And Hogan's, Hogan doesn't want to get in there. Which is weird because the whole thing is about the Postamaniacs. So Hogan starts slinging some kind of powder around and blinding all the Doom members Again, weird. Hogan's the baby face. Why is he using powder to throw in the face? Like, why is he cheating to get... Hogan does this a lot, actually, in his career, is that he, as a baby face, uses heel tactics, which is which I find kind of interesting. And the Pasta Maniacs are in full control, ladies and gentlemen. The Zodiac members are just so wacky, and Heenan is making nonstop comments about how ridiculous they all look. I can't be the only one that thought this. Maybe it's because I'm watching it backwards and I'm watching a little bit of hindsight. But it looks so stupid having Savage and Luger and Sting and all these badasses and these huge legends. And then you have Shark. And you have Kamala bumbling around, barely can stand up. And then when they're not doing something, Zodiac's being, being a clown. It's so weird. I mean, you can hear Shivani holding back his laughter for most of this match. So Hogan makes Zodiac submit with a camel clutch. Weird. Taskmaster tries to leave, but security stops him. And, you know, honestly, at this point, I thought the whole thing was an elimination match. So I'm thinking, what the hell? What the hell is happening? The match is over? But I'm just... But Sullivan is now locked in the cage with Hogan. And finally, we get... We get that. We get the Pasta Maniac, the leader of the Pasta World Order, fighting Sullivan after weeks and weeks, literally just week and week, of Sullivan ruining our lives. We get Hogan's getting a little bit of uh, justice, some street justice. 
So the other boys leave. Sting, Luger, Savage. They don't want any piece of Sullivan. It's not their, it's not their fight. So they go to the back, probably to get some Hulkaroos, and it's Hogan, Sullivan. The Giant comes out. Giant comes out, enters the cage, hops over the ropes, which is pretty cool. Like I, If you know the big show or Paul White or whoever from his later career, you really don't realize how unbelievable of an athlete he is. He, he would have been the greatest offensive lineman in history. He, he does... When he first enters, he jumps over the ropes, which is insane. Then he does this thing where he grabs the top of the cage and pulls himself up over the ropes. So he's doing a pull-up on chain link. This dude weighs 500-something pounds. And he's doing pull-ups and jumping over ropes. He, he, he's really one hell of an athlete. So he does this move. He's not a choke slam guy at the time. I mean, he, he does do the choke slam, but the move that he's doing right now with Hogan is he grabs Ho- Hogan's neck and, like, breaks it. Like, he does the thing where he does, like, that twist, like, the quick twist to, like, break Hogan's neck, which is pretty... It, it actually looks pretty devastating. I, I did not see this coming, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, shit, he, he just broke his damn neck. And Sullivan spits on Hogan, which, when you see, is always a bit jarring to see someone spit on someone else, whether it's a movie or not, or a TV show. But a little unnecessary that, you know, Sullivan's spitting on Hogan's corpse. Pasta Mania is not looking good right now. They call down for a medic over the loudspeaker, and that is it. That is the whole damn show. Pay-per-view lasted a while, man. This was like a solid two, 45, three-hour show. This is a proper-ass pay-per-view. Some spots were pretty entertaining. The stories are entertaining. The... The matches are good for the most part. The Marrow or the Johnny B. Bad Pillman match was just so long and unnecessary. The Harlem Heat match was cool. DDP was really cool. Glad he won. Flair Anderson was cool. Weird finish, but made sense. And then the War Games match was a bit of a mess. And since I don't really consider the Dungeon of Doom spooky or scary or intimidating... I think there were also a bunch of jokes. That was kind of whatever. It was cool to see the Giant finally come out. And Hogan, you know, now we're now we left wondering what the hell's going to happen with Hogan. Bad news is this probably means more Sullivan and the Dungeon of Doom. Good news is it's kind of ramping up to Hogan and the Giant. And that's where this is all culminating. It's not, luckily we're not going to get a Hogan-Shark feud. Instead we get the Giant. So all in all, good pay-per-view. Much of WCW at this point is, you know, kind of supported by Hogan and the Pasta World Order versus the Dungeon of Doom. That's just kind of how it is. That's the main storyline. Everything else is kind of playing way in the back, on the back burner, than uh, than this. So that that's kind of something we just deal with. But all in all, I thought it was a pretty good pay per view. In my opinion, this is where you know pay per views are where storylines end and begin. So this is kind of a refresher to where. Okay, we've seen Nitro twice. We've seen a pay-per-view. We've seen the culmination of Hogan and Friends versus the Dungeon of Doom. So now we get a whole new thing. We get a new TV champion. We have new tag champions. We have uh, a U.S. champion and a number one contender. We have an obvious rivalry now with Hogan and the Giant. So now the new storylines are all starting. And we're all starting on the same page which is 
which makes things easier to watch the whole show. So I'm, I'm actually pumped for Nitro. So we're, hey, Nitro tomorrow night, we're expecting to figure out what if Hogan's alive. Because, you know, we, all, last time we saw him, a medic came down to the ring.